Radios this week on Broadway for Sunday, October 17th, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so we're uh, getting into the swing of things here where our calendars are filling up with uh, theater to see, which is e- extraordinarily exciting. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And uh, the three of us have gotten a chance to see the new production on Broadway of Chicken and Biscuits. So, Peter, why don't you get us started off on that? Sure. Um, This is a play by Douglas Lyons and um, very nicely directed by Zalone Levingston. Um, It's uh, about a funeral and uh, the people who have to come to the funeral and a family um, at the funeral, as well as uh, a would-be in-law. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for the would-be in-law, he's a white young man uh, played by Michael Yuri, and uh, the rest of the people he's going to be dealing with, of course, are black. And um, there's going to be a lot of consternation about that, not only because he's white, but also because the family isn't thrilled that uh, this uh, son is gay. So that's a problem as well. If it all sounds terribly familiar, and I understand that it would. The fact remains that it's very well written and the characterizations are very, very solid, certainly among uh, the fact that the church going people are very devoted and they really believe what they believe. And uh, they're very convincing in that way. The best performance, I think, is given by Norm Lewis, um, who is not remotely over the top, who uh, gives a very, very decent performance as a preacher and the part of familias of the group. So that's quite good. The one thing that bothered me, though, Uh, is the fact that um, during the play, there's a great surprise that happens, a great surprise. And if we were in an era where plays had intermissions, it would be the end of the first act. There's Mm -hmm. no intermission. Um, But uh, after this enormous surprise happens uh, for two scenes, nobody talks about it. And I would think that there would be nothing else that they could possibly talk about. So that's, um, I think, a flaw in the play. But 
it's great fun. The characterizations are good. You would say well, funeral, great fun. Yeah, but uh, the things that come out are, um, are are very, very amusing. And of course, Michael Urey always is. Devere Rogers um, <laughs> uh, is quite good as well. And Ebony Marshall, Marshall Oliver uh, playing a relative is quite good as well. You know, we hear a lot of um, stuff um, in recent weeks about Ben Platt being too old uh, for Dear Evan Hansen. Well, I'm going to say that Agnur Mizell, uh, playing a teenage daughter named Latrice, um, looks to me that she's um, old enough to have a graduate degree, if not a PhD. So um, <laughs> I, I'm very surprised that she was cast. And she's been uh, with the play for a long, long time, uh, which is another thing that um, indicates that she shouldn't be playing a teenager. So I thought that was a problem in casting. But um, I also think she's um, the opposite of Norm Lewis, very over the top um, and uh, cliched, in fact. So I didn't much like her or um, or the fact that she seemed too old. But aside from that, um, this is an audience pleaser. And the wonderful thing about Circle in the Square is you can really tell if the audience is being pleased because you're sitting <laughs> in an arena setting. And as a result, you can see across the way or somewhere, uh, no matter where you're sitting, you're going to see people uh, across the way smiling or frowning or sleeping. Uh, they were smiling quite a bit and laughing quite a bit at this one. All right. Uh... Peter, we're going to come back to uh, that flaw in the play because I have a theory behind that, but let's hear from Michael first. <laughs> well, I'm going to pick up on the last thing that, that Peter said, and that, that's a very good point. I, what I was going to say initially is that uh, how wonderful to be in a theater again where the, you know, where the entire theater is rocking with laughter. Uh, I mean, I, I think we all love a great drama, but I've always thought there's there's nothing quite like uh, the experience of, of being in a theater that's filled with laughter because it's such a visceral response and it's so obviously it's so much more obvious a response than if if people are crying <laughs> to themselves and uh, so and to be in that situation after so long uh, of a, of a drought due to the pandemic <clears throat> it was almost like being reborn I felt in a mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. uh and, and that i will so i will always thank this play for that experience this production i i loved it <laughs> uh i i absolutely recognize its flaws uh that peter mentioned it's also uh i don't think you actually said this but i, I think most people seem to feel it's just a little bit too long uh at least <laughs> without an intermission um I, and certainly uh, it seems cuttable. So I guess maybe there wasn't someone to advise the playwright in that respect, or maybe the playwright resisted it. But overall, I, I really like what Douglas Lyons, the the playwright, did with this piece. He, uh, many of us may know him uh, as an actor. He, he's been on Broadway in Beautiful um, and in the Book of Mormon and in tours of Rent, Dream Girls and the Book and Mormon. Uh, so you may know him from that, but he, uh, it, it, this is exactly what I expected it to be, this play, uh, based on how it was described to me, and it did not disappoint. Um, there's also a, 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 a major shift in tone about mm, three quarters of the way through, and, and that may strike some people as odd because uh, for the most part the first three quarters are hilarious and then it gets quite serious as this um, 
after this surprise happens that Peter alluded to. Uh, and then it sort of goes back to humor at the end. But I, I really, really, really loved it. I loved the cast. I, I loved the direction. I, I really enjoyed the playwriting. And I'm so glad I went. But oh, oh yeah, but also uh, to, to finish that other point, um, to be in any theater where people are laughing like that is is a gift. But to be in circle in the square where you really feel like you're surrounded by people laughing, it's not just that you hear it from coming from the back of you. Uh, you know, um, that that was really a, a great experience, and I I love that as well. So. Um... I have to add a third, I loved it, and a fourth, I loved it, because my wife, who is very critical, just had the <laughs> greatest, greatest time. And, oh, and great. She's, she's brought it up a number of times uh, since we've seen it, about how good it was, and she's telling everybody to go see it. Uh, she really loved it. Um, and then uh, uh, Peter already talked about Norm, but I wanted to mention Cleo King. Uh, Cleo is somebody who... The, uh, has not done a lot of theater because she's gone out to California and and she is uh, I, I see her pop up all over the screen television and big screen all the time and I'm so happy to have her back on a, on a stage she is wonderful uh, as the matriarch in in this uh, piece uh, who's trying to uh, you know hold the family back together. Uh, from her perspective and not taking into into account everybody else. Uh, I really thought this was great and I encourage people to go see it. Yes. Uh, this was uh, a, a treat for me and I didn't, you know, really have any idea what to expect because it's, it seemed like this came out, came out of nowhere pretty quickly and happened mm -hmm. and yeah. it's really, really wonderful. So Peter, as to your comment about um, things being disjointed, uh, in that not discussing the big event for two mm -hmm. scenes after. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to say that uh, there's also another thing that they miss at the end, mm. which I'm not sure if it's a spoiler or not. So mm -hmm. if you haven't seen this and you want to uh, skip ahead 15 or 20 seconds, <laughs> I'm going to tell the spoiler now. So Michael Yuri's engagement, they didn't, did he get engaged or not engaged? So the uh, they made such a big deal about that. So I wonder if those scenes got cut because the show was was running long or what was happening there. I don't really know this to be true or not. So what do you think that maybe they – because the talk about town before opening night was that it was running long. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe there was some cutting. I don't know. Oh, that's a good thought. That's a good I got thought. the impression they were going to be all right. Yeah, so. I did. I did too. But it wasn't. It wasn't spelled out as much as it. Might I have been. a feeling they didn't want to spell it out to us. Yeah. I think they wanted us yeah. to reach our own conclusion on that. But my conclusion, for better or worse, <laughs> Lord knows I've been wrong a million times before, and will be a million times um, after. But um, I, I got the impression uh, all will be well with the couple. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. But it seemed like there would be some sort of uh, happy, Official, yeah. <laughs> happy tying it up in a bow ending, a, yeah, a yeah. Hollywood ending, as they say in, in uh -huh. City of Angels. Uh -huh. so, On that uh, note, though, I, I'm glad that it uh, we should say that the uh, the relationship between 
uh, Michael Yuri and the other character, the, the son of the pastor, is I wouldn't say it's the main point of, of the play. It's just a kind of a subplot. And sure. uh, I and and I also love the fact that it was uh, we're presented uh, from the beginning with the situation that some of the family do not accept uh, Michael Yuri, but mm-hmm. um, some of them do, including Norm Lewis. Mm-hmm. who had a maybe we're told he had a problem with it initially but then he got over it and now he's completely accepting and welcomes him with open arms so mm-hmm. i thought that was great that because that's the way families are right mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know peter i really liked the character of latrice you didn't like you thought she was too over the top i'm not saying that i didn't like the character uh-huh. But I didn't like the performance. She reminded so. me of Melba Moore in Pearly, uh, with that that mm. high pitched, constant um, kind of almost shrieking, which I can understand why some people would not respond to that. Uh, and I had moments where I thought it was a bit much, but overall, I enjoyed it. Hmm. So that is uh, Chicken and Biscuits. It's got a uh, a limited run through January 2nd, 2022. Please get out and see it. Uh, I don't know uh, what your houses were like, but when I was there a couple of nights ago, it was less than 50%, and I really was sad wow. about that. It was packed um, when I was there. Packed. Good. Mm-hmm. And, and Tony Janicki says that uh, the Saturday performance of Chicken and Biscuit was totally sold out, and the standing room spots were all filled so uh, maybe I just, uh, for some reason, had a had a, a low performance. But again, we we don't really we we can only take anecdotal information here since we're not getting that's any right. information yeah, leak. Really great, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Worse, yeah. All right. So uh, next up, Peter, you saw Thoughts of a Colored Man. So tell us about this. Well, um, this is uh, at the Golden Theater, and uh, I think uh, it's a pretty golden (laughs) production. You know, this is one of those situations where you really do wish that um, the Tonys would give out an ensemble award because um, this this ensemble is just terrific. Um, The show reminded me a little of the musical working in that we saw different uh, people talk about their jobs from time to time. But Keenan Scott II's thoughts of an African-American man um, have furnished him with the thoughts for thoughts of a colored man. Um, and, you know, the word colored, of course, um, is a red flag word. And yet, of course, this season, if if it does happen, I haven't heard anything recently about for colored girls coming in. We will have two plays with this name, uh, with this word. And the thing is, um, I'm wondering if what's happening here is what's happened with the gays who uh, took over the word queer. They appropriated it. They're not going to be afraid of it. They're going to deal with it. And that's it. And it's now become such a, a, a mainstream turn among gays. So um, maybe colored is the same type of thing that's going on here, because it would have been very easy to call this play thoughts of a black man, thoughts of an African-American man. But mm-hmm. Keenan Scott made his decision. And that's fine. So um, one of the most interesting um, uh, scenes in the play takes place in a barbershop uh, in Harlem, we assume, maybe Brooklyn. I don't know. There's, uh, we're all over the city. I don't think we get to Staten Island. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, I, it may be Harlem, but uh, it's a very interesting scene because here's where we see most of our characters all together. And the gentleman who runs the store uh, the shop is uh, Joe. And uh, Joe is very, very strict about uh, how his customers behave, even as a swear jar. You say the wrong word and you pay a dollar. <laughs> and it's very, very interesting. 
interesting about the word that is used that he will not allow at all. You don't pay any amount of money for it. You are banished if you say this word. And um, it's, it's really heartening to see uh, this word not be accepted whatsoever. And the gentleman, well, maybe he's not a gentleman who um, says it will have to later in the show apologize. So, so we see all sorts of people from um, African-American life, and they don't necessarily play the uh, same character um, from one scene to the next. But we do have um, the, the, the gentleman who is really um, doing very, very well in, in finance, uh, sophisticated, happy, uh, elegant, um, talks about that uh, he may not have um, uh, access to a, a tropical island, but he has an island in his kitchen. And, you know, that's pretty good, too. On the other hand, we have a guy with a, an MIT education and he's working at Whole Foods. And why does that happen? Well, he gives us good reason why. He's try, someone tries to talk him out of it, but um, he knows what he's doing. And, uh, and that's, um, that's pretty good. It's so interesting to hear an audience laugh at a uh, two-syllable female name. I'm, I'm not going to say any more than that, but <clears throat> gets one of the biggest laughs of the night. And uh, when you can do that with two syllables, you're really doing very, very well. So, uh, of, of course, we have arguments about sports. We have arguments about gentrification. Um, we do see that the American dream does eventually get a very unwelcome wake up call. And um, so some of the thoughts are external and some are internal. So occasionally they'll just, uh, the um, actor will turn to us and talk to us. Sometimes there will be scenes. So you get internal and external thoughts. And um, uh, there's also a very powerful scene about a young man going to a white woman's house that he's uh, thinking of, that he's essentially dating. Um, we don't know if it's going to amount to anything, but when he goes in there, um, the stereotypical treatment he gets um, in stereo, by the way, from a mother and a brother is uh, <laughs> quite there. Um, there's a basketball coach who is very much interested in being a life coach as well. It's not just about basketball for him, which is uh, quite nice as well. You may recall in the um, musical Assassins, there's a song called Another National Anthem. Well, this play offers another Pledge of Allegiance, uh, which is um, equally as powerful. So uh, there are funny moments where there's a face-off among three men who challenge each other. And we were so poor when we were kids that, you know, so that's a very, very um, uh, powerful thing as well. You know, the other thing I'm reminded of more than anything else is that um, whenever I'm asked to give a, a, a list of the 10 greatest plays in history, I always put Raisin in the Sun on the list. Why? Because white people went to that play, perhaps even reluctantly, but hearing, okay, it's good, I'll give it a chance. And they went in not wanting black people living nearby. And when they came out, they weren't so sure of that. Similarly speaking, I remember being at the Washington tryout of Bubbling Brown Sugar and thinking, wow, wow, Harlem... Harlem was a fun place. It's, it's not necessarily a dangerous place as we've been led to believe by so many other people. It's a fun place. And later I saw an interview with Rosetta Lenoir, who uh, spearheaded the project, who said, what I wanted to do was show that Harlem was a fun place and not a dangerous place. And I said to myself, Rosetta, I got it. Well, this play has a very, very uh, similar thrust in that you see that these are nice people. And um, they're doing the best they can. And so many of the situations, so many, could really apply to white people as well. And so to see the commonality between black people and white people is very important. 
And this is one of the things that is going to be most impressive and most, um, most influential in Thoughts of a Colored Man. It's going to be very nice for white people to go to this play. And um, yeah, in a way, it's sad to think that, you know, Raising the Sun was 1959. That's a long time ago now. That's the Eisenhower administration. <laughs> and we would like things to have progressed more than they have. But given that they haven't gone exactly where we wanted them to go, this play will inch it along. And uh, for that reason, it's very valuable, as well as entertaining and funny and moving. Okay, so that's uh, Thoughts of a Colored Man. I'm actually going to go see it this afternoon, so I'm looking oh. forward to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it plays through March 20th, 2022 at the Golden. So we'll have I'm hoping for an show. extension. Uh, so we'll see. What yeah, happens. I was wondering, March 20th is a weird place. It is, so I it? wonder if there's something coming isn't in it? behind it. Well, perhaps. I mean, um, maybe that's where Colored Girls was going. Who knows? <laughs> you know, so so uh, let's see. We'll take a quick look here. Uh, the Golden Theater. No. We have, uh, no, just Thoughts of a Colored Man. I have okay. nothing on the calendar that's behind right. that. Right. But that's... Uh, I, th I thought that that was an odd date to close, but it maybe, is, you know, I mean, because, because you make it through the tough, uh, yeah, tough right. <laughs> and you're not um, staying open when the uh, Tonys are uh, happening. It, was, it's, it is, it is not time. Maybe they want to use this date as an arbitrary date and then they can say extended by popular yeah. demand. You know, that mm -hmm. could be too. And I hope they are. Yeah. You know, who doesn't care anything about schedules? <laughs> who? The Metropolitan Opera. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Metropolitan Opera doesn't care anything about schedules. They just do rant. I, I have never been able to make heads or tails out of the Metropolitan Opera schedule. Michael, isn't that yeah. true? I mean, it's just like they just play things all over the place all the time, and it doesn't seem to be. I mean, I, I guess other than the the, the holiday type type of the year turn, uh, point in the year when they play the holiday types of shows, I guess. Well, I mean, I guess that's true, but that's the way most opera companies are, are set yeah, up. They'll, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll do a show on a Tuesday and then they'll do it again <laughs> on Saturday. And, you know, but I mean, you get this, you know, the schedule is published long yeah, in yeah. advance so you can check, you know. <laughs> yeah, just I, I just think of it from from an efficiency standpoint. You know, it's it's like, it's like crazy doing entire set changeovers or leaving the house dark for so many so many nights. But you got to see Turando. At the yes, I did. Turn yes, dot, did. right? Turn dot, turn dot, well, you know, turn dot. Well, it's funny you said that, ask that, because I just went down a rabbit hole on that specific question. <laughs> and the answer is, uh, uh, the short answer is, I guess, both are acceptable. Because, oh, is that right? Yeah, because both, uh, there are authorities that say both or either. Okay, all know? right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, this this was in in some ways an even more special experience than chicken and biscuits because i not sure i i thought i would ever be at the met again um they had been as we've discussed in the past they had been having pretty severe financial difficulties before the pandemic um then there was the whole james levine scandal which was yeah. a tremendous tremendous yeah. blow to them uh, then during the pandemic they were having severe major labor problems 
um, with uh, the various unions, and it seemed like they might not open again for that reason. And then also as to this specific production um, by Franco Zeffirelli, uh, there had been it had been reported that it was going to be replaced, uh, and that that happened that all happened before the pandemic. And so I guess maybe the pandemic saved this production, uh, this beautiful production because i think uh, what i'm told is that the board of directors went to peter gelb the the head of the men and said we, we cannot replace it now it's too popular and we don't have the money for a new one i, I mean i'm just speculating but mm-hmm. I, it, it seems like that's what happened um so uh I, when i was sitting there the other night i felt like it like I was on borrowed time in a way. I, mm. I couldn't believe I was seeing the production. I couldn't believe I was sitting in the Met. Um, and it was almost an otherworldly experience. And I love the opera so much to begin with. It's one of my absolute favorites. So, uh, And it was a great, great performance with uh, Christine Gerke, Gerke in the title role and Yusuf Evazov as Kalaf. He, he's the one who gets to sing Nessun Dorma. And I have never heard an ovation after that aria such as he got the other night uh and i have heard domingo and pavarotti sing it wow uh it just was a combination of he sang it so beautifully and i think you know people's emotions built up and uh being back at the opera after so long and this was the first performance of of the opera this season and uh that was incredible and then to top it all off in the role of timur we had James Morris, who made his Met debut in 1971. Mm. Uh, opera mm. singers don't usually sing mm. for 50 years. Mm. Um, and he and he sounded great. <laughs> so wow. it, it was kind of like um, I, I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing and hearing. Uh, but I'm so glad I went. There are several more performances, I think, um, this fall and then more in the spring when Anna Netrebko, um, who is the wife of Yusuf Evazov and actually a much bigger star, is taking over the title role. So uh, I urge you uh, to see it now or then. You know, Peter, I, I know you've said, I, I, I believe that um, the operas you've seen at the Met so far, none of them have been really spectacular stagings. Is that true? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, this this would really, really be one <laughs> uh, to 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 try to get to because it's it, you just it's you'll never see anything like it again. There are two hundred people on stage. I think. Well, the, one always has to be impressed by the supernumeraries. No question. I mean, <laughs> you know, it really is something. But you know, um, it's always been a opera that tr- it has intrigued me for a very different reason. I don't know if you know a James Kirkwood novel, Good Times, Bad Times. Do you know it at all? Oh, no, no. Uh, James Kirkwood, of course, is known to us mostly because he was the uh, (laughs) book writer, co-book writer, but many people say the book savior of a chorus line. But um, in the in the novel Good Times, Bad Times, there's a young man who loves this opera and he has a friend who finds out it's playing, I think, at the Met. And um, they're they're nowhere near New York, as I recall, but uh, he makes sure that uh, he sees the opera. You know, come here. I I have a surprise for you. Here's where we're going, Uh, but I'm not telling you why. And uh, they go to the opera. And I mean, the way that Kirkwood describes this opera in the book makes it sound so intriguing. So (laughs) I may surprise you, Michael, and wind up there. 
<laughs> so, Michael, uh, uh, a few things uh, yes. that are tangential to your review. You said that you've seen uh, Pavarotti and Domingo sing this. Mm. And my thought is that I can't believe Coleman Domingo sings as well. <laughs> He's multi-talented. I was like, he is just everywhere. He's multi-talented. Awesome. <laughs> He's just really... So, uh, and I have to point out again, I, I've done it a number of other times, but the Metropolitan Opera's website is just wonderful. Well, is it, it is good? just really, really wonderful. Uh-huh. Uh, you mean as uh, far as the background articles? And background things? articles and things like this. And you know what has been a big topic this week? And what? I'm going to get your opinions on this, is that in the Turndo, Turndot uh, section of the Metropolitan Opera website, they give a timeline. House opens 35 minutes of Act 1. Intermission yes. is 40 minutes. Act 2 is, starts at 45 minutes. Intermission is 30 minutes. Act two, 3 is 45 minutes, and then the opera ends. They have it down to a science. And so many people are complaining on social media that running times for Broadway shows are out and out lying to them, that they're saying it's 90 minutes, no intermission, and they, they get in at 110 minutes, 115 minutes, no intermission. Sorry to say, I, I've heard that recently about chicken and biscuits. Yeah, uh, and that's just one of many yeah. uh, one of many shows that uh, where they the, the running times seem to be way off. It's not, it's not a five-minute thing. It's just way, way off. And, right. And you can't blame a long intermission when you don't have an intermission. Right. Right. So, uh, telling, and as things right now seem to be on the pendulum swing towards shorter, uh, except for perhaps the Lima trilogy. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes indeed. Yeah, uh, but you know, when they're good, it doesn't even seem like you're in the theater right. any time at all. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I'll never forget seeing Strange Interlude in London, in 1984, and. Um, Two hours flew by like nothing. And I thought, this is usually the length of a show. And I'm only at the end of the first act, in essence. I mean, it's amazing to me. So uh, and same thing with The Inheritance. I didn't feel like I was there uh, nearly as long as um, the time I actually was there. But that's a very good point about uh, the running time being uh, erroneous because there I was sitting in chicken biscuit and saying, okay, well, it's going to wrap up because they told me it's this long. But mm-hmm. it wasn't. And, you know, that makes you turn against the show a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and I wonder if um, that's just social media people having a temper tantrum, or if it really is. But it seems to be, you know, it, it's a psychological thing. Anybody who looks uh, seeks out a running time has something in their head that says uh, that there's a know, reason why they're that, doing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so we did have uh, a couple of people around us, you know, two thirds of the way into the show, have to get up and go to the bathroom and come back, or yes, or I saw a lot like of that, yeah. something along those lines. You know, and it's always something when that happens because you're wondering if the person is walking out. Period. Yeah. And um, and and that's a statement that's being made as well. And the thing is, of course, we're still at a time when nobody's wearing a coat. Um, so uh, so as a result, you don't know if the per- I mean, obviously, uh, yeah. in the winter time, you know, if the person's wearing a coat when he leaves, he's not going to the bathroom. Uh, but um, but yeah, the, there's there's a little chink in the armor when that happens, and it's really too bad when it happens. But um, you know, nature calls, and what can you do? We've all done it. I have a quick, funny story on that note. Uh, uh, not at my performance, but a, a friend of mine saw Chicken and Biscuits, and he said the biggest laugh happened because a woman in the audience decided to leave the moment before Michael Yuri had a scene in the aisle on his cell phone. Oh. Mm. And, and so she uh. apparently got up 
and started to walk and not realizing he was standing there in the dark. And then the lights came up on them. (laughs) 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 And she had to walk around him. (laughs) And he then like said into the phone, something like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's just some random woman walking by. (laughs) Does anybody know of that famous story about Finian's rainbow and summer stock is true. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, Um, tell me. Well, in, in Finian's Rainbow, um, the uh, the Senator Rockins, I think his name is, um, is is very, very prejudiced. And right. as a result, the two uh, book writers want to make a point that you don't know how bad things are until you walk in somebody else's skin. And so they um, the miracle in Finian's Rainbow is that he turns black and now he is treated as a black man and he gets his comeuppance. Well, anyway, the thing is, Summerstock in the tent, you know, you came up the aisle and of course they had to blacken his face. The story goes, whether or not it's true, is that a, a a person went to the bathroom and they thought it was he and they blackened his face. You know, he was he came up to go to the bathroom instead of blackening the Senator Rockin's face. So so it wasn't a happy experience for that theater goer who wished she had held it for a little while longer. I have <laughs> no idea if this is true, but it's a story I hear from time to time about well, every three years. I hear he, it. <laughs> why didn't he just say, no, I'm not him? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's have a stock. Things happen fast, you know. So. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Peter, uh, the American Theater Group has an upcoming uh, streaming production of The Evolution of Henry Mann. I wasn't sure. Did you see this or you just want to talk about it? I did see it. I went out to Basking Ridge, New Jersey, where there's a very, very pretty theater uh, that looks very much like Playwrights Horizons, if you've been there, and uh, to see The Evolution of Henry Mann. Henry is in uh, parentheses. Mann has two ends in it. Uh, Henry Mann is a person who um, is desperately looking for a wife, not just love, but a wife. Okay, but more to the point, at this point, he's so discouraged because his previous girlfriend has announced that she's getting married and worse has sent him an invitation and he doesn't want to show up alone at that wedding. He wants to show her that he's involved with someone. So he's got to find someone fast and he's got to find the right person fast. So it's an original musical. Dan Ellis, who uh, wrote 13, wrote the book um, and also collaborated on the lyrics with Doug Cohen, uh, Douglas J. Cohen, uh, who did the music. Mm. And I have to now, truth to tell, Doug and I have been friends since 1904. So, um, you know, (laughs) we have to take that into consideration. But I truly believe. I truly believe who's ever responsible for uh, the majority of the lyrics or the uh, few lyrics, whatever, how much of a collaboration for the two songs, It's Only a First Date and The Unromantic Things, I mean this, are two of the finest songs I have ever heard in musical theater. And I've heard a lot of songs. So um, very, very well performed by Ryan Gregory Thurman, who plays Henry. Um, And uh, the thing is that I would like to see this show done with um, not a cast of three. There's so much doubling that has to go on. It's really unfortunate. But um, the Lord knows that Shaney Hadjian and B.B. Browning uh, do create different characters. And you do know who's who down to uh, current dates to a mother. Uh, they really do expert work. But those of you um, who want to do a production of The Evolution of Man, and you should, um, should very well 
think about, um, especially in community theater, having um, many people play these roles. I think it would be a, a wonderfully effective show. Um, it's effective anyway, but it would be a wonderfully more effective show if we could have a lot of people playing the parts. But I know the economics of theater and so on and so forth. Now, Basking Ridge, New Jersey. OK, if you live in New Jersey, not a big deal. You probably have a car. You'll get on Route 78 and you'll be fine. OK, what about the rest of us? Um, OK, well, they're going to be streaming it. And I really urge you to go to americantheatergroup.org. Theater is spelled the um, American way, E-R, American Theater Group. And catch this on streaming. Um, it's, it's such a wonderful show. And, you know, this is one of those shows where, you know, you can see who the right girl is for him and you can see who the wrong girl is for him. I mean, and so, you know, what's going to happen. He's obviously going to uh, not deal with the wrong girl and wind up with the right. No, no, that isn't quite what happens. And there's a big surprise and a very satisfactory ending. So it really is a very effective piece and uh, wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully directed by uh, Jason Aguirre, who also choreographed. There's a bit of dancing in the show. So um, really check out the streaming. Um, yeah, but I'm telling you, if you have a car and you're anywhere near Basking Ridge, it's about an hour from the city, um, go, go by all means. It's still playing one more week. And I think you should get there in one way or another. Yeah, it's playing uh, through October 24th. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well as uh, aside from you can get to the, the theater's information page. You can also get the streaming there as well. So that is uh, excellent to, to know that. So um, we, we also got a, um, a, an email this week that uh, Sanctuary City, uh, the New York Theater Workshops uh, production of Sanctuary City is uh, going to stream as well uh, yeah, from October 25th through November 21st. Uh, the uh, in-person ends uh, on Sunday, this October 17th. Uh, so um, if you haven't uh, seen it yet, it's most likely the only way you'll be able to get to catch up with it is through the stream. And Peter and Michael and I were talking about this before we started recording. And I suggested that um, perhaps the end run, uh, the end reason for um, uh, creating a streaming uh, version of this may not be for audiences, but for artistic directors to see this show uh, and put it into their season or for voters to see the show and uh, just get a little bit more awareness. I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was I thought it was really, really well done and uh, had a very uh, poignant message in it. So um, we'll have a link to Sanctuary City in the show notes as well so that you can check out the stream if you haven't gotten a chance to see it here in New York. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each time we get a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to your final podcasts you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes of Broadway Radio, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, last week's trivia, we had a lot of excited people that got it. <laughs> uh, change the first letter of the title of a musical that played encores and replace it with one that immediately follows it in the alphabet, and you'll have a title that would be apt for a musical version of Catcher in the Rye. 
Well, the show that played on close in 2002 was Golden Boy. And given that the main character in Catcher in the Rye is Holden Caulfield, if you move down the alphabet from G to H, you'd get Holden Boy. Juliet Green was the first to get it, followed by Paul Witte, who admitted he got a little help from his lovely wife, Michelle. <laughs> they were followed by Tony Janicki, who explained that if he hadn't been on a plane, he would have been more prompt. Okay, we'll take your word for it, Tony. Uh, he was followed by Steve Bell, Brigadude, Nikki Juvan, Ingrid Gammerman, Josh Israel, Sean Logan, Jack Leshner, Mike Meany, and Deb Popple. This week's question. What opening number from a 70s Tony losing musical could describe this group of people? Steve Bell, Brigadude, Joanna Abizi, Juliet Green, Josh Israel, Tony Janicki, Rob Johnson, Kathy Jones, J. Aubrey Jones, Nikki Juven, Jack Leshner, Robert Lobiondo, Sean Logan, James Marino, Mike Meany, Pat Payne, Michael Potantier, Cheryl Hodges Stern, Carrie Winslow, and Paul Witte. Hmm. <laughs> That's a twist. <laughs> All right. If you know the answer to this, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's um, musical moment? Well, about four years ago, we celebrated the 60th anniversary of the Broadway opening of West Side Story. Uh, I celebrated it with a show at Feinstein's 54 Below on the night of the actual 60th anniversary, and that was pretty special. But now um, we have come to the 60th anniversary of the premiere of the film version, which we will celebrate uh, on Monday, the 18th. Uh, and it was such a phenomenon uh, we've discussed before. There's no way to describe the success of that film uh and the soundtrack album as we i think i've also mentioned before was all right these these statistics are incredible they are (laughs) released in 1961 the soundtrack spent 54 weeks at number one Mm -hmm. on billboard's album charts giving it the longest run at number one of any album in history Although some lists instead credit Michael Jackson's thriller on the grounds that West Side Story was listed on a chart for stereo albums only at a time when many albums were recorded in mono. So I don't really get that last part. But I don't either. <laughs> yeah. um, in 1962, it won a Grammy Award for Best Soundtrack Album uh, in the United States. It was the best-selling album of the 1960s, certifying three times platinum Mm-hmm. by the RIAA on November 21, 1986. As I've said, when I was a kid, uh, I certainly had the album. And when mm-hmm. we would go visit friends, everyone had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have nothing else in their record collection mm-hmm. but, but rock, you know, mm-hmm. Beatles, etc., mm-hmm. and West Side Story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was just, you know, and and, uh, and as many people have said, the 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 music didn't really become like firmly firmly established in the in the cultural fabric of this country and the world uh until the release of the movie and the soundtrack album and now it's like everyone knows that music and of course we have a uh, a new film version about to open about a month from now is that right yeah 
Yeah. So I, I think we're all looking forward to that. Um, so we opened the show today with the uh, Mambo uh, from the soundtrack of the film. Uh, the original soundtrack album, uh, when it was originally le- released, did not have the Mambo on it just because of lack of space. But then uh, when the CD was released, it was an expanded version and the Mambo and some other music that was not on the album were added. Uh, so that's where that is from. And then, uh, and I think it's an incredibly exciting version of that Mambo. I, I, of course you have to see it, but even just listening to it, the music is, is phenomenal. And then uh, to end, we're going to end with Tonight from the film soundtrack, the duet version, sung not by Natalie Wood and Richard Beamer, <laughs> <laughs> but by Marnie Nixon and Jim Bryant, who I I will never forget that I got to talk with both of them really? at the same time. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, several years ago uh, to interview them about the movie and that might that might have been for the 50th anniversary uh that was how long ago it was um and it was amazing for me to get to talk with them together or separately but especially together uh they uh i think there were there were a lot of um obstacles that they had in their way to to giving really good performances on the recording but they absolutely did and as you'll hear momentarily i i I just think they did a really really beautiful job and um i i i'm sure we'll all we all celebrate the existence of this great great movie as even as we look forward to the remake Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right So that wraps it up. On behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Only you, you're the only thing I see forever. In my eyes, in my words, and in everything I do, nothing else but you. There's nothing for me but Maria Every sight that I see is Maria Tony, Tony With you, every thought I'll ever know Everywhere I go, you'll be All the world is only you and me It all began tonight I saw you and the world went away Tonight, tonight There's only you tonight What you are, what you do, what you say Today, all day I had the feeling A miracle would happen I know now I was right For here you are And what was just a world is a star
with suns and moons all over the place. Tonight, tonight, the world is wild and bright, going mad, shooting sparks into space. Today, the world was just an address, a place for me to live in, no better than all What was just a one is a star.